Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, you are holy. Lord, we just love you so much, and we thank you for this opportunity to sing your praises. Lord, to offer our prayers up to you, our praises, and Father, then just to give uh, of how you have given to us. And I pray that we would just give back freely and cheerfully, Lord, in a generous way to meet those that have need. pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to look at God's unfolding cosmic plan to redeem man. And we're going to put a spotlight on three actors that are playing their role just as God has predetermined. The first spotlight, as we see in Mark chapter 15, is on Pilate. And as soon, in verse 1 it says, As it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you king, the king of the Jews? He answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they have made against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. The MacArthur Study Bible notes that this occurred around daybreak between 5 and 6 a.m., Having illegally decided Jesus' guilt during the night, the Sanhedrin formally convened after daybreak in order to pronounce a sentence. Now the Jewish council could not put Jesus to death, so they had to convince Pontius Pilate to do so for them. However, blasphemy was not a cause for the death penalty in Roman law, so they accused Jesus of proclaiming himself king, which would put him at odds with Rome, hence why Pontius Pilate asked, are you king of the Jews? That's Roman law. He's putting himself as an opposition against Caesar. Now, just as a reminder, I know many of you know these answers or know who Pilate was, but he was the regional governor over the Jewish province. He represented the interests of Caesar, the Roman emperor. The Jewish historian Josephus writes that Pilate was a very headstrong, strict, authoritative Roman leader who, although he was both rational and practical, he never really knew how far he should go in any given case. Now, a Roman trial consisted of an accusation against the person, that person's personal defense, and then the verdict, very similar to ours. Yet Jesus, just as he did before the high council, remains silent and gives no defense, even though the charges are manipulated and contrived. Let me ask you, how would you respond to such false accusations? Especially if it carried a death sentence. We would scream our innocence. We would vehemently pronounce the injustice of the trial and the falsehood of the charges, yet Jesus is silent. All he does is respond, you have said so. That's not a sterling defense on his behalf. It's more like a a similar to the exasperated cry that you and I might make, well, if you say so in the midst of an argument. 
silence. You can imagine the bewilderment of Pilate and the surrounding crowd. You would imagine that they would have been expecting the usual cry in defense of an accused, but silence. Beaten by Jewish soldiers, bruised and bloodied by their fists. But just silence. Who could imagine? The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. And Jesus is the only man who could claim this promise. He was perfectly obedient to the whole law of God. Isaiah the prophet writes that there was no deceit found in his mouth. The apostle Peter would later agree when he testifies of Jesus that he committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet in the face of these accusations, Jesus was silent. This is a great fulfillment of Isaiah 53 verse 7 where the prophet writes of the Messiah, he was oppressed and is afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In the face of Pilate's questionings, Jesus is silent. The second spotlight now moves and is now is on the crowd that Pilate brings Jesus before. We find this in verse 6, where he says, Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they would ask. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Well, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered Jesus up. But in verse 11, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate here is looking for a way out. He wants no part of this business and this drama He wants off the stage as quickly as possible. He knows that he's being manipulated by these religious leaders. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read that even his wife has a dream and comes to him and says, Stay away from this man named Jesus. Do not get involved. So he tries his trump card. He gives the Jews a choice. Barabbas or Jesus? A murderer and a rebel, or a teacher and healer. However, the religious leaders incited the crowd to choose a known criminal instead of the one who had done no harm. Their desire for power and their fear of Jesus' influence among the people lead them to a murderous rage to kill Jesus. As a side note, this is most likely a different crowd than those that were worshiping him just several days earlier on Palm Sunday. This crowd probably consisted of the minions of the religious leaders and visitors to Jerusalem who really did not fully understand or know of Jesus and his teachings and his miracles. 
But what we see here in this passage, as he perceives that it was out of envy, we see that envy is a very powerful emotion, is it not? It will drive people to the brink of terrible things. King Solomon warns us in Proverbs 14.30 that a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Does that sound familiar? It was just a few days earlier that Jesus had condemned the Pharisees when he pronounced in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. As a side note, you and I must understand as we look at them and we start to condemn them for their envy, but you and I must recognize that when we look in the mirror of Scripture, that you and I ourselves are full of envy, and that's a powerful emotion. But we must not let envy have a foothold in our minds and our hearts. Turn to Titus, if you would, chapter 3 with me. For Scripture tells us that you and I also were slaves at one time to its devices. Titus chapter 3, found in the New Testament near the end. In Titus chapter 3, looking at verse 3, Paul writes to his, to his child in the faith, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and what? Envy, hated by others hating one another. You see, envy leads these religious leaders to kill the very Son of God. They knew he was someone special. Whether they understood exactly who Jesus was, they knew by his teaching and his very miracles that he was from God. Even if they did not fully understand that he was God. They knew that his miracles were from the Father. Yet, they still led the crowd to call for his death. Yet even their envy accomplishes the very purposes of God. Continuing Titus chapter 3, look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, look at this, through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What was their role? Their role was envy, was to express envy. Their sin, their envy led to you and I's salvation. That may not be grammatically correct, but you get the point. Their sin led to our salvation. They played their role to perfection. Because of that, Peter commands you and I to put away all of our malice and all our deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Peter says because of their envy led to the salvation of us, we are like newborn infants. We should long for the spiritual milk that we may grow up into salvation. Indeed, if we had tasted that the Lord is good, you and I have tasted that he is good because of the role they played. 
And we must give gratitude for God for giving us that taste. They never received that themselves. Paul warns us not to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more than significant than yourselves. If anything, recognize that envy cost the Savior his life. It led to our salvation, but is a powerful motion that will tear up your relationships and leads to murder. So the spotlight is on Pilate, and then it moves to the crowd. Now it kind of moves once again back to the crowd and Pilate as we look in verse 12. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man whom you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said, why, what evil has he done? He pleads with them once again, knowing that Jesus is innocent. What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, crucify him. And here comes a crucial part in Pilate's role when he says in verse 13, wishing to satisfy the crowd, he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate was prompted not by a desire for justice, but because of his political and moral cowardness and fear of the mob. He knew that Jesus was innocent, yet he wanted to satisfy the crowd. History tells us that Pilate had irritated the Jewish population with many of his actions. He would send Roman guards through the city with symbols of Rome and symbols of Caesar, which to the Jews would be looked at as blasphemy. He would irritate them and purposely go out of his way to kill many of them. And, and again, he never knew what his boundaries was, and he usually went beyond it. He was always putting down one insurrection and one rebellion. There were many Barabbases during Pilate's time. So he sees in Jesus an opportunity to satisfy the crowd and to make friends with the Jewish leaders and those who were crying out for Jesus' execution. It was an opportunity to get on their good side. Though Pilate would eventually declare himself to be innocent, we know the picture of washing his hands of this, he will be judged for his decision and his actions and the role he played. This itself is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 verse 8, where the prophet once again writes to the Messiah, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people. You see, this very drama, this, these very actions of the crowd was God's plan for Jesus. As the prophet Isaiah writes, that it was will of the Lord to crush the Messiah. It was God who has put Jesus to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt... The crowd that cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, did not even understand that their bloodless served God's plan of salvation and reconciliation for them, their children, and the world. 
The whip used to beat Jesus was made of leather. It was interwoven with bone and metal. The prisoner would be tied to a post with his arms above his head in order to stretch out his back fully. The blows would shred the skin, exposing muscles and ligaments, even ripping the exposed organs like the kidney and so on and so forth. It was designed to maximize the punishment and pain and to expedite the death on the cross. And yet they were clueless in their role. The third spotlight now moves as Mark continues in this drama to the Roman soldiers. As you may recall in Acts, it says that God had moved Pilate, the religious leaders, and even the Gentiles into this drama. We now see the Gentiles part in verse 16. Where Mark writes, and the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, they put on his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. The humiliation continues with the Roman soldiers. They bring Jesus back into the palace. And Mark tells us, as you read that with me, that they called together the whole battalion in order to take part in the next act. They, they weren't going to do it themselves. They brought in their buddies, their whole battalion. Now, a Roman battalion, listen to this, consisted of 600 men. They're calling them in. Hey, join us in our fun. And what happens next, though it is not in the public sphere of the crowd, is still a very public humiliation. Now, I want you to think about this. It's not in front of the crowd, but in front of up to 600 battle-hardened soldiers who would not show any pity or mercy on this man. This is not in front of a queasy crowd. This is not some men and women who might squirm at the sight of blood or would cringe at the cries of a man being beaten. But battle-hardened men who had seen war and had perfected the art of beating a man to the point of death, but not to death. They wanted him alive. He needed to carry that cross. He was to die by the cross, not by their beatings, but yet these men knew how to accomplish such a thing. Now, you and I must remember that they did not know who Jesus was. Maybe they had heard of him in the streets, but most likely it was just a name, if even that. Jesus' ministry mostly was not, was very far from Jerusalem. They had no direct te- uh, 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 knowledge, excuse me, of his teaching or miracles. To them, he was just another condemned man accused of trying to assert Caesar their king. 
These men were men of the world. They had experienced the hardness and the difficulty of battle and the starkness of life. Many of them had come from very bad backgrounds themselves. These were not men of culture. He was very tough men. They would find enjoyment in mocking Jesus. Jesus' beating would actually serve as entertainment for them. It was a break in their ordinary routine. To them, this would be enjoyment. It would almost be like you and I taking some type of animal and having our way and enjoying that. As sick as that may be, this was the life of a Roman soldier. Jesus was less than a man to them. He was just a Jewish man condemned to die. They knew nothing of his innocence, knew nothing of him. And mockingly, they begin to salute him as they would Caesar, putting a cloak on him. Purple was the color traditionally worn by royalty. The crown of thorns was a mockery of a royal crown. And this was no little thorns, but these were thorns that history tells us would have dug deep into his brow and around his head. These callous soldiers decided to hold a mock coronation of Jesus as king of the Jews. Oh, hail, king of the Jews, they cried out. The greeting was a parody of that given to Caesar. The reed that they gave him was not some little whispery reed that you and I may think of, but a, a good stout stick. It was an imitation of a royal scepter, but instead of giving it in his hand to hold and direct and to lead, they took it and they beat him with it. It was not enough for them to carry out the sentence of death. They also deemed it necessary to humiliate him, hitting him with a stick and spitting on him. Yet still, silence. Passively, Jesus receives the humiliation. To be honest, I cannot comprehend it. I cannot comprehend it. Yet again, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53. For the Messiah was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. Where were the disciples? Scattered. But he was despised and we esteemed him not. As they mockingly bowed before him saying, All hail, King of the Jews. They did not know that one day the apostle will write that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. These Roman soldiers will one day truly understand their role and their part. The actions and attitudes of the religious leaders, of Pilate, the Roman guards, and the crowd show the true depravity of man's heart. You know this portion of scripture. Jeremiah tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, he says, search the heart, and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. 
Who but man could come up with a way to humiliate a man, to beat a man, and to kill a man? But man himself. The question I'm asking as I'm reading this passage and studying this week is a question I hope you're asking. Why? Why was Jesus silent? Why did he accept these accusations? Why did he receive the blows? Why did he receive the spittle of these men? And the mockery, the humiliation. Why did Jesus, the Son of God that Mark writes, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why does he receive this? Why does he keep silent? The one who calmed the seas. The one who had authority over sickness. The one who had authority over demons in the supernatural and the natural world. Why did he meekly accept the mocking, the beatings, and the anger of the people? Why? At the garden when he was confronted with Judas and the soldiers coming to arrest him, as we saw several weeks ago, one of the disciples, we did not see this in Mark, but it shows us in the other Gospels, one of the disciples struck out with a sword to defend Jesus, cutting off the ear of one of the Jewish guards. Yet Jesus said to them, stop, put away your sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will once send me more than 12 legions of angels to defend me? Folks, that's 72,000 angels at the beck and call of Jesus. Yet he did not. He was silent. In my mind, if I could exaggerate just a little, I could see every one of those 72,000 angels sitting in heaven, watching what was being done to the Lord, hand on a sword, ready to go at the first beckoning. Just give me an eye, wink at me, make a motion. But in the same breath and same image, I could see God the Father... (laughs) with hand reached out, saying, stay, put your swords away. Why? Which one of us would respond to such a travity of justice? We cry out when someone cuts in front of us, when a pedestrian wants to walk through when I'm trying to turn right. When one flits me a bird in mockery and humiliation or tries to make fun of me. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 2. You know where we're going. Philippians chapter 2. Why was he silent? Why did the soldiers not rush down to his defense? The same angels who ministered him after 40 days in the wilderness and the temptation of Satan. The same angels who ministered to Jesus in the garden when he prayed, take this cup. Why were they held back? Where was God when he said, after he said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Who at the transfiguration said, this is my son. Why? 
Paul tells us in Philippians 2. Verse 5 of Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. Now, when you see that word, instead of just putting humbled himself, put in all the things he did. He allowed himself to be accused. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be spat on. He allowed himself to be humiliated. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? Was silence. You see, the humiliation of Christ was for their benefit as well as for you and I. Verse 4 of that chapter, Philippians chapter 2, if you were to look at the verse previous, he says, look each of you not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Hence why Jesus took the beatings, while he received the spit on his face, while he received the mockings on him and the thorn of crowds, he was thinking of us and his glory. He was thinking of the plan of the Father. This passion play was written before time began. In Genesis 3.15, we see that this play must take place. Its purpose was reconciliation. And each actor played their part to perfection. The role of the religious leaders was for their envy to incite them to seek Christ's death. Their role was to seek Christ's death. The role of the crowd in this play was to reject Jesus as king. They were to reject Jesus as their Messiah. The role of Pilate was to unjustly condemn Jesus to the cross. The role of the soldiers was to brutally teach Jesus, to treat Jesus with contempt. And the role of Jesus in this drama was to silently accept the full wrath of God displayed in this miscarriage of human justice. For you and for I. Without it, you and I would be without hope. Those beatings, that mouth of spit, that humiliation belongs to you and I. Jesus was silent and he received it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This play is not over with. For you and I have a role in this drama as well. It is playing itself out in the heart of each and every person. As either you reject his work or you accept this work of Jesus, his silence, his passive obedience on our behalf. 
Jesus' obedience to the Father leads you and I to be accepted by God. This is not your time to be silent. The religious leaders were not silent. The crowd was not silent. Pilate himself would have loved to have been, but he could not. The Roman soldiers were not, but you and I are not to be silent. For we reclaim that he is Lord as we submit our hearts and accept. For with the heart man believeth, but with the mouth one what? Confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you do so this morning if you have not? For today is the day of salvation. It's time to take up your cross and say, I receive what Jesus did on my behalf. I recognize that he took my place. He silently accepted what I deserved. I repent and I trust in his obedience to the Father. You know, interestingly, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 5, and with this I'll end. What is so interesting, not only about this part, the fact that he gives reconciliation, this plays the part of God, but Jesus actually has the opportunity to live out his own teachings and his own commands. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse, first gospel in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, look with me in verse 43. As Jesus lives out his own teaching and commands, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what I found interesting about Jesus' silence this time in this role. That even in this perversion of human justice or injustice, Jesus was obedient. He was perfect as the Father was perfect. He obeyed the Father to the end. Their actions, the religious leaders, the Pilate, the Roman soldiers, and the crowd was deplorable. Their motivation was sinful. Their hearts were corrupt. But before you're too condemning, remember that our hearts were just once the same. For it was our sins that led Jesus to bear this reproach. Let you and I be grateful for the one who was innocent, died for the guilty, giving us a silence to remember. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just take a moment to consider, to pause and consider and pray? And ask the Holy Spirit, how should I respond to the silence of the Son of God? How should I respond to the drama 
of God the Father's choosing to humiliate his son in order that I may be reconciled to him. Father, you're so good. This passage should cause us to pause and to weep. Father, I would confess that many times I read these and I read through them so quickly because they're so familiar and so well known that I don't always stop to consider the human drama that was unfolding in the pages here. In black and white, these were real people with real emotions who did terrible things to our Savior. But yet without that, Father, I would be without hope. Let us consider that this morning. Let us consider the goodness of the Father. Let us consider our sin that was placed on him. And may it lead us to you. We pray this in the name of your most holy son, who died for us, who's our savior, who even at this moment is praying for us in heaven. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.